Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. We are a people of prayer. And today we're going to talk about well, so to set this up, you know, the, the the last Sunday that we were at the Courtyard Marriott before we moved into this beautiful building that the Lord has given us, um, you and I taught together. and How to lead forward, the lead, yeah, that, leading the way forward. Mm-hmm, that the way forward will be led by a praying people, a prophetic people, and a presence people. And so we're going to take these next few months and we're going to be teaching on those three things, prayer, the prophetic, and presence. And so... Um, so kicking off in January, we're going to teach on prayer until, until we're done yeah. teaching on prayer. Every Sunday, yeah. every Sunday for sure in January and maybe Sundays in February. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. You're about to. I don't think we could ever exhaust the subject of prayer, um, but we're going to do our best to sort of unpack it. So today we're laying a foundation for our teaching on prayer and how we see it throughout all of scripture and that it is the basic building block of the Christian life. Um, was it last year? Ethan Ethan Robbins is back in our... Live stream audio. Live stream audio. So we have people in other rooms that you don't even know about. Mixing, <laughs> mixing sound for our online audience. So he gifted us, uh, I think it was last year, this book... E.M. Bounds on Prayer. Essentially, this is, is this six, this is seven books in one. Uh, this man uh, has, is just an incredible. Do you want to read that little? Yeah, a little short little bio about E.M. Bounds. This is a great book. If you want to really be inspired to pray. Um, That's why I brought it. I wanted to show you because I would encourage you to get it. If you believe in prayer. If you love Jesus. If you don't if you don't believe in prayer, then why are you here at Dwell Church? <laughs> We're gonna have an invitation. We're gonna convince right now. you by the end <laughs> to believe in prayer. Um, Ian Bounds, his name was Edward McKendry Bounds, was a man who ever lived on prayer ground. He walked and talked with the Lord. Until his death, prayer was the great weapon in his arsenal, his pathway to the throne of grace. No one who has read what Bounds has written can fail to realize that Edward McKendry Bounds talked with God as a man talks to his friend. Bounds rose every day at 4 a.m. to pray. Um, So this is just a classic collection of Bounds' finest writing on prayer. So we've been gleaning from this and from other teaching on prayer, and so that's we're gonna we're gonna share with you today. To start, I I have a quote from E.M. Bounds that I want to that I want to start with. Ian Bound said, the prayers of God's saints are the capital stock in heaven by which Christ carries on his great work upon the earth. Great throes and mighty convulsions have come about as a result of these prayers. The earth is changed, revolutionized. Angels move on more powerful, more rapid wings. And God's policy is shaped when the prayers of his people are more numerous and more efficient. I just want to tell you, prayer 
is the most practical thing we can do. Prayer is the most productive thing we will ever do. Yeah. We often think prayer should be relegated to the most spiritual among us, uh, those who feel called to prayer and intercession. But you posted this on your social media account the other day. Prayer is not a gift of the spirit. (laughs) Uh, Prayer is foundational in the life of every believer. And if we don't pray, we actually don't even have a relationship with Jesus. Um, So I, I love this. Prayer is above all an expression of relationship with God in which the person who is praying comes into a deeper submission to the will of God. Prayer takes us out of the realm of what we want and into the realm of what God wants. I want to say that again. Prayer takes us out of the realm of what we want and into the realm of what God wants. There are two extremes or or two ditches we can fall into in in the realm of prayer. On one hand, there is this faith teaching that essentially says God has unlimited blessings for me and has placed the power to claim them in my hands or with my confession. If I can just summon up enough faith, I can have all of these blessings. With this approach, I have control. Now, there there is a thread of truth in this idea. But the concept gets corrupted with the wrong motivation. You've heard me say again and again, nothing happens in the kingdom until you make a declaration. But there is this narcissism that comes into play when we say, I came to church to get mine. I'll just leave that alone. Uh, well, I just have to say this. Uh, our dear former pastor, Pastor Mike Hayes, used to say, uh, you know, we're busy asking God for houses and cars, and he wants to give us nations. Mm. Uh, the opposite of the faith teaching is an idea, that faith teaching as it regards to prayer, is an idea where Christians are reduced to a passive form of religious fatalism that says, why even pray at all? Because God has already determined what is to be. That's the other extreme. And so we, we think we won't even pick up the burden of prayer because God has already willed what's going to happen. Yeah. And these, both of these extremes can derail the purpose of God in your life. So what is the biblical approach to prayer then? Um, We're going to take several weeks to unpack the biblical approach to prayer, but there is a concept called compatibilism, which essentially means compatibility, that says divine sovereignty and human responsibility are compatible and work hand in hand. In the end, God always wills what is best for us, and he works in the process and in the pain to draw us closer to himself as he works all things together for the good in our lives. Uh, we love the scripture, and most of you can probably quote it, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. 
So often we enter into prayer out of times of difficulty and pain. And prayer allows us to come to a new understanding of what good really means for us. Mm -hmm. We have our own ideas of what good is. Um, but, But when we really submit ourselves to prayer, we see that maybe the good that God has intended for us looks a little different than what we, than what we thought. Uh, the good that God has for us passes through the fire of the cross. Say that. Say that again. The good that God has for us passes through the fire of the cross, but in the end is better than the earthly things we would have wanted for ourselves. The goal of the Christian life is actually not to just have it easy. (laughs) You probably figured that out by now. But the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And as a result, to share in God's rule on the earth to the glory of God. So that is, that's the goal of our life walking with Jesus. If prayer is the pathway to a greater knowledge of God, then Satan's plan will be to persuade us that prayer doesn't matter. When we buy into his lie, the sad result is that prayer becomes a small footnote in the life of our church. And we pay a heavy price for that. Prayer, I said it before, is the most productive thing we'll ever do. Jesus said in John 14, 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if you need to get things done, there's no better way to get them done than through prayer. Without prayer, I'm going to say this slow. I want you to hear it. Without prayer, we may still achieve a lot but very little of it will be what God created us for. Do you want to hear that again? Without prayer, we may still achieve a lot, but very little of it will be what God created us for. And most of what we accomplish will die with us. Prayer reveals the Father's heart and will. And shows us the way to get there. So we're going to walk through the Old and New Testament today. This is kind of cool because, so I started to say this earlier. You know, you read through the Bible every year. Um, I have read through the Bible a couple times. But, you know, we're, we're students of the word. You much more so than I. But this month we are doing a, what's called the 30-day shred. And we're reading through the entire Bible in the month of January. And so we're now like in second Kings from Genesis into second Kings in the first nine days. It takes two hours a day, (laughs) but it is so beautiful. And the, the old Testament that we're reading now, and of course I've read it, heard the stories all my life, heard so many messages, you know, all, all the great stories of the Old Testament, but reading it through in this way. Getting this high concentration of, of how the stories are connected. and Yeah. Uh, it's it, just, yeah. I find myself, I find myself as I'm bathing in the word, I find myself praying more than I ever have. Mm-hmm. I find when, I, when I have a pause, I don't go to Netflix 
or words with friends on my phone. I find myself, even just driving to, when you sent me to Target to pick up Ritz crackers because you forgot them, I found myself praying in the car. I found myself praying as I'm walking through Target. People don't know what I'm doing, but if they get close, they'd see me going, la, 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 just, just uh, walking with this awareness of God, aware of his nearness. And uh, it's just really, I love what this is doing to me. It's really awesome. And I know there's a couple other people in the room who are also doing 30 day yeah. shred. Um, it's really cool. It's going to be not a- too late to start. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to catch up on nine days if you're doing it in January. So that's about 18 hours of reading. Um, but, but you can start to, you know, you can start and do it in the next 30 days. I'm going to make it a practice every year, but today we're going to walk through the old Testament and the new Testament and find prayer the thread of prayer all throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, But first I want to say that there are four types of prayers that we can find in the Bible. And this is, um, many of you may have know of this acronym and have heard this. Um, The word ACTS, A-C-T-S, like the book of the Bible, um, is an acronym we can use uh, to remember the four types of prayer. Um, A is for uh, adoration. Prayers of adoration. Everybody say adoration. Adoration, which are prayers of praise and worship. The C in Acts stands for confession, which are confession. Say confession. Get it in your brain. (laughs) Prayer, which are prayers of repentance. The T is for thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Which are prayers of thanks. And then the S in Acts is for supplication, which are prayers of intercession for God's help. So ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, so as we, we're going to survey prayer in the Old Testament. And I so, don't know if you, if you take notes. Uh, there are a lot of scripture we're going to We're going we're gonna to reference. reference a lot of scriptures. If you want to jot some down and look these up and read them, um, it's a really cool, powerful thing to do uh, to hear these references and then in your own time go back and, and read some of these scriptures. Um, There are around 85 original prayers in the Old Testament, not counting 60 psalms and 14 portions of psalms that we could easily call prayers. There are probably 150 or more recordings of some sort of prayers in the Old Testament before we even get to references of people praying. In Genesis, prayer is described as calling on the name of the Lord. Adam's grandson, Enosh, called on the name of the Lord in Genesis 4.26. Abraham called on the name of the Lord in Genesis 12. Abraham's prayers, along with God's response, shows great intimacy with the Lord in Genesis 15 and 18. Many prayers in the Old Testament deal with intercession. Moses intercedes with God on behalf of the people. In Deuteronomy 9, Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai pleading with God that God wouldn't destroy the nation. We need leaders who would do that in this. Mm -hmm. Samuel interceded with God and led people in prayer. Solomon prays in 1 Kings chapter 8. Hezekiah prays in 2 Kings chapter 19. We see Job's prayer in Job chapter 42. The Psalms are a mixture of intercession, praise, and worship. Psalms 22 has all three of those things. Uh, Praise and intercession are mixed in Psalm 16. 
Psalm 18 is a prayer of worship and thanksgiving. Psalms 24 and 35 are prayers for protection and deliverance. Psalms 26 and 43 are prayers for vindication. Psalm 30 is a prayer of exaltation and rejoicing. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of deep repentance and contrition. Psalms 54, 56, and 59 contain David's prayers for deliverance from his enemies. Psalm 63 is a prayer for intimacy and communion with God. And so that is, that is yeah. David said, early in the morning will I rise up and seek you. That's Psalm yeah. 63. Yep. Psalms 65 and 67 are prayers for the harvest. We see that Isaiah was a man of prayer in Isaiah chapter 6. Jeremiah was always praying. The word of the Lord came to him during prayer in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Jeremiah's prophetic words and those of the other prophets came out of times of prayer with the Lord. In Jeremiah 42, 4, Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers me, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Daniel was one of the greatest examples of prayer in the Old Testament. He prayed three times a day and he was prepared to die rather than to cease praying. Y'all remember that story? King Nebuchadnezzar, they were going to make them bow and, and um, man, he was prepared to die rather than to cease praying. Daniel's great prayer of confession on behalf of the nation is found in chapter 9. After the Jews returned from Babylonian exile back in Jerusalem, Ezra encouraged them to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting in Ezra 8. Ezra 9 records his own prayer of confession for the nation. We see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer in chapters 1 and 9. Jonah prayed in chapters 2 and 4. Habakkuk prayed. His book is comprised mostly of his own prayers and of God's answers to those prayers. Prayer occurred in many ways in the Old Testament with the lifting up of hands in Psalm 28, standing in 1 Samuel 1 and 1, kneeling with hands out in 1 Kings 8, kneeling with clothes torn in contrition in Ezra 9, kneeling with face to the ground in 1 Kings 18. The Old Testament is full of prayer, and when we read it with prayer in mind, we'll see a lot of illustrations that we didn't realize were there. It's, you know, you say all of that. I, I just, I've been reading through some of the Psalms. I'm still doing my one-year uh, reading plan, and so I get a lot of Psalms. And I, after studying the prayers and then reading through the Psalms and, and realizing these are prayers that David is, the petitions that he's making, the he's crying out to God. I, and so, you know, it's like I hope that this causes you to realize how much the foundation of all that happened with God's people is built on prayer. So I now want to take you through a survey of the New Testament. That was your turn. Now it's my turn. Your turn. The cornerstone of the New Testament's presentation of prayer is found in the life and teaching of Jesus. The Gospels begin with Jesus going off to a solitary place in Mark 1. Luke records that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places in order to pray in Luke 5. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus while he was praying 
at his baptism in Luke 3. According to Luke 6, Jesus spent entire nights in prayer. Matthew 14 and Luke 6 tells us that sometimes he went into the hills to pray. Following one such night of prayer in Luke 6, Jesus chose his disciples after prayer. In Luke 9, Jesus prayed while he was with his disciples. And while he was praying on the mountain, his appearance changed and Moses and Elijah appeared before him. This is the reference of the Mount of Transfiguration. It was following a time of prayer that he taught his disciples how to pray in Luke 11. Jesus offered many prayers of thanksgiving and praise recorded in Luke 10 and 11. And in John 17 is Jesus' great high priestly prayer for you and me. He is preparing for the sacrifice of his own body in order to satisfy God's judgment on sin and to set us free from sin. Finally, Jesus was praying even in Gethsemane. And all three of the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Jesus even prayed on the cross. That's in Luke twenty-two thirty-four. Not only did Jesus pray, he taught others the importance of prayer. Scripture records two occasions where he taught his disciples to pray. It's found in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. He taught them to pray in secret and not like the hypocrites in Matthew 6. He taught them to pray simply, not with repetitive formulas, thinking they could manipulate God. And even though he taught them not to pray repetitively, He did teach them to pray repeatedly and not give up. He taught them to pray expectantly in Matthew 7 and Mark 11, looking to the goodness of God. He taught them to pray with boldness in Luke 11, with stubbornness in Luke 18, with humility in Luke 18. In Matthew 6 and Mark 11, he taught them to pray with a forgiving spirit. In Mark 14, 38, to pray with intensity. In Matthew 18, he taught them to pray together in unity. Jesus taught us a lot about prayer. This theme of the importance of prayer is carried on into the life of the early church. In Acts 1, the disciples prayed. In Acts 2, they were praying when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. They began to pray in languages, supernaturally, all birthed at a prayer meeting. The church was birthed in prayer, and it took shape and developed in prayer. Prayer, just as much as teaching or fellowship together, was one of the foundations of the church in Acts 2 and 2. The first great recorded miracle in the church occurred when Peter and John were on their way to a prayer meeting. Read that that scripture. Acts 3, 
Verse 1, I like this. Hear this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. When we read this, uh, we were talking through our notes yesterday. I said, man, I, I love that, you know, the temple had set times of prayer, of course. And so they were going to the temple to pray. And I At the time of prayer. Yeah. And I love that we are at Dwell Church establishing these times Monday morning at 6 a.m., Wednesday night at 7 p.m., coming soon in, in the next couple of weeks, Fridays at noon, you know, that, that we're going to have a time, times of prayer set aside here at the house. I just thought that was See, there were people, cool. that even with Peter, remember when Peter's shadow mm-hmm. uh, healed people? Mm-hmm. That happened not because they were taught this is what you do. It had never happened before. But they knew, they followed Peter's life and knew that there was, that he went to the temple at the time of prayer. Yeah. So on his way to the time of prayer, they would bring sick people on the side of the road so that maybe even his shadow could touch him. But it was on his way to prayer. When the first threat of opposition arose in Acts chapter 4, they didn't flee. They didn't run away. They didn't hold a planning meeting to decide what to do about it. They turned to prayer. And they prayed for boldness because they were, they were um, meeting opposition and, and persecution for spreading the gospel. And so when they turned to prayer, instead of a planning meeting about what to do, they didn't pray like, Lord, remove this. They, they prayed for boldness <laughs> that, that this opposition like, wouldn't deter them from spreading the gospel. It, it's, it's kind of like these, uh, some of these governed mandates for the church to shut down in certain states. Instead of taking that, uh, of course, you know, we, we, have, we have to respect what things happen in our government. But in the face of that, these people rose up and prayed for boldness. I shouldn't meddle. I'll just stop. In Acts, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse, prayer as much as teaching was the greatest priority for the life of church leaders. Anything that could take them away from that priority needed to be removed, including administrative issues. Prayer accompanied the appointment of the deacons in Acts 6, verse 6. Stephen followed the example of Jesus praying as he was dying for the forgiveness of his murderers in Acts 7. Stephen's prayers were answered in the conversion of the man who bore witness of his murder and heard his prayer, and that was Paul. As soon as Paul was converted in Acts 9, the first thing he did was pray. It was while Cornelius was praying in Acts 10 that the angel appeared to him and told him to send for Peter. It was while Peter was praying the next day in Acts 10 that God spoke to him to go to Cornelius' house. Between Cornelius praying and God speaking and Peter praying and God speaking, the whole door of salvation was open to the Gentiles. So... We would talk, talk about teamwork making the dream work. <laughs> Cornelius and Peter, wow, that's amazing. We would never be here if Peter and Cornelius weren't praying. We would never be here 
if the disciples weren't praying in the upper room. We wouldn't be here if Jesus hadn't prayed before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. So prayer is absolutely foundational to the Christian life and to God speaking to us and doing what he wants to do through us. Prayer is the key to the door of the supernatural. When Peter was thrown into prison in Acts 12, prayer was key. The church was earnestly praying for him and the angel was sent miraculously to release him from prison. In Acts 13, while the leaders of the church were praying, they had the revelation to set aside Paul for his apostolic ministry, which opened Europe to the gospel. (laughs) It was while Paul was praying in Acts 16, verse 9, that he received a vision to take the gospel past modern-day Turkey and into Europe. On arriving at Philippi in Greece in Acts 16, Paul and Silas went immediately into prayer. After being severely beaten, Paul and Silas were found in prison, praying at midnight. (laughs) Their prayers released the power of God, and an earthquake released all the prisoners. And the jailer and his family were saved because Paul and Silas were praying in prison at midnight. (laughs) God continued to meet Paul through prayer in times of difficulty. Like when he left his Ephesian friends in Acts 20. Or through a miraculous visitation in a jail cell in Jerusalem in Acts 23. Or on the endangered ship that was heading to Rome in Acts 27. Even as a prisoner, Paul continued to pray. Several of his letters were written in prison and in them he is found praying. God opened the door of the gospel on the island of Malta after Paul's shipwreck when the governor's father was healed after Paul prayed for him. That's in Acts 28. Paul taught in his letters that we are to be faithful to prayer. And Philippians 4 tells us we're to commit everything to God in prayer. Yeah. To pray on all occasions for all the saints in Ephesians 6. To pray continually in 1 Thessalonians. To devote ourselves to prayer in Colossians 4. Yes. In 1 Timothy 2, men are to lift up holy hands in prayer. Philippians 4, you just said it, tells us we're to commit everything to God in prayer. Through prayer, we are to put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. We're told the Holy Spirit will help us as we pray in Romans 8. Paul repeatedly asked other people to pray for him. We find this numerous times in his letters. Hebrews 13 urges prayer. James 5 says the first step for anyone in trouble is to... Pray. <laughs> in James 5, we're told the elders are commanded to pray for the sick and believers are commanded to pray for one another. James also says to follow the example of Elijah, mm. the man of prayer. He said Elijah was a man just yes. like us. <laughs> yes, with like passion. Yeah. First Peter 4 says we need to pray. John tells us to pray in 1 John 5 and 16. Peter reminds us that God's ear is attentive to the prayer of the righteous. In 1 Peter 3, and that nothing must hinder our prayers. Let nothing hinder your prayers. Jude exhorts us 
to build up one another in our most holy faith and to pray. And in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, shows us the prayers of the saints in Revelation 5 and Revelation 8. In conclusion, this is my first, my first, uh, ending, my first ending. In conclusion, (laughs) the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, is saturated with prayer, saturated, bathed in prayer. I I remember uh, several years ago as we were getting ready for uh, a new season in our life that we just felt this word from the Lord to be bathed, to bathe ourselves in prayer. What is, I don't know what that, how you, what that means to you, but I just know that in order to not miss the voice of God, we have to pray. If this makes you feel the least bit convicted about your prayer life, well then, praise the Lord. We accomplished what we wanted. Because without understanding that you need to prayer, that you feel an obligation to pray and not just think the prayer team's going to do it. Right, the right, the right. intercessors are going to do it. What you, we said uh, that you said it earlier, you said prayer is not a gift of the spirit. Yeah. Now there are people that intercession will be their passion, but prayer is something that all of us do. I would tell you, my relationship with Nicole would not thrive if we didn't have moments where we sit down and talk to one another. If you want to maintain a thriving relationship with the Lord, you're going to have to take time and talk to Him. Sometimes we... we we make excuses and say, I don't know, I can't, you know, Jesus said, can you pray with me for an hour? Can you tarry with me for an hour? And we're like, we run out of things to say. The, the issue is you think that you have to run your mouth the whole time. Prayer is not just about what we say. Prayer is also about pausing and listening to what he has to say. If all you're doing is talking and talking and not taking a breath and letting him talk, then you're not doing it the right way. And we see all of these examples in scripture that when they prayed, God gave them strategy. God gave them answers. He told them, go do this. Go pray for this person. Uh, these are, you know, you said that Jesus called his, chose his disciples after a whole night of prayer. The deacons were chosen through prayer. Every strategy that we'll ever need can be found in prayer. And as we were preparing for this and just, you know, I mean, <laughs> I just more and more, you know, prayer, prayer has always been a foundation of Dwell Church from the time we began. Um, and so this has grown over the last three and a half years and will continue to grow until the day we see Jesus face to face. But I am so convicted in my own heart of saying, man, how many missed miracles? How, how you know, how much has been missed because I didn't spend time in prayer when I'm trying to figure things out, make decisions out of my own, you know, thought process instead of taking it to the Lord in prayer. And, um, and so this is Mark Batterson said one time, he said, Jesus will never answer prayers. You never pray. You can, 
will to do it, but unless you put the effort in, your will does not necessarily connect with the skill. (laughs) Uh, My second conclusion, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the sixth verse says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's just one line of that passage. But without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The implication is clear. If we don't diligently seek him, we don't get the reward. Should I say that again? If we don't diligently seek him, we don't get the reward. But what is the reward? It's many things. But first and foremost, the reward is him, himself. His manifest presence. Okay, in my final closing... That is a cue for the musicians to come back. He's just waving at me. No, let's move. (laughs) There was a man, uh, a Scottish theologian from the 19th century, and he he made a comment about this passage in Hebrews 11. His name is Alexander McLaren. He said, the best reward of seeking is to find the thing you're looking for. The best reward of seeking is to find the thing you're looking for. So the best reward that God, the rewarder, gives is when he gives himself. So let's talk about the coming weeks and then we're going to go into a time of activation because um, we're not going to spend all this time teaching on prayer and then not pray. So we're going to do that. Um, But next week you're going to be unpacking the Lord's prayer. The disciples asked, told Jesus, will you teach, ask him, teach us to pray. And so you'll be unpacking the Lord's prayer. And, um, and then the week after that, I'll be teaching on the prayer. Yes. The prayer that gets answered. Are you going to sit? Are you going to stand? You know, I don't know yet. It's like we always always sit together. We always sit at this table or a table (laughs) when we uh, we tag team. But uh. yeah. And then Pastor Tanner is going to be preaching at the end of the month. And and then we have all these beautiful opportunities throughout the week to gather in this house and pray. You know, as I look back over our years of ministry and I think about the houses that we've been privileged to be a part of and go and minister in all across the world. Um, you know, we've, we've been on staff at, at a church in years past that was a house of prayer. And prayer was, was, um, was a cornerstone of, of the church. And we've been a part of a church that, you know, prayer really wasn't, um, it was almost like, have you ever been somewhere, even in a church service or maybe in a, a meeting with some of the, the church people? And it's almost like it feels awkward to pray. That is like the worst feeling as a believer to be in when you are surrounded by other believers and it actually, and it feels awkward to pray. 
That will never be said of Dwell Church, and that will never be said of of any meeting or any uh, anything that happens here. This is going to this is this is already, but it's going to grow, and this will be a house of prayer. This will be a place where people know my prayers get answered there. I I experience Jesus there, and always I can find someone to agree with me in prayer. Um, the awkwardness, the awkwardness is, and, and I'm, in one place I remember, they would like call for people to pray and whoever had the microphone is praying this vivacious, intense prayer. Then everybody else in the room is going, just hardly in a whisper. Uh, and we're like, what? What is happening? Are we, are we, it could happen even in worship. Okay, everybody sing out a song and we're singing on the mics and everybody else is, just very, very passive, very quiet. And not that I want everybody to yell and scream. But why not? Uh, I would love it that anybody, that I could call on anybody in this room and they could open their mouth and shake heaven in their pursuit of him. You don't have to be T.D. Jakes. You don't even have to be Catherine Kuhlman. You just have to be Carissa, you have to be Joey, you have to be Alexia and Gracie. God even listens to Carson, yes, he does. to Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And um, I don't want you to perform when we pray. But we're going to turn this into a prayer meeting. We have 15 minutes before noon. And I don't know how long this prayer is going to go. We just want to activate and know that the power of God is released when his people pray. Uh, Just things happen when we pray. Yes, yes, yes. There used to be this plaque that you, they had on the walls when I was a kid, I remember said, prayer changes things. It really does. Yeah. It really does. It has the capacity to turn the world upside down. Prayer can heal the sick. I remember as a little kid playing in my house with my little trucks and uh, my mom and dad were praying people. I would be stumbling down and I would kind of bump up against the door and hear the roar of prayer coming from mom and dad's room. And it would like, the presence of God would come on me and I would like, I didn't even know what to do with it. And so I just run off because I was like, but, but, but I was aware that it was Jesus. I was aware of, of something bigger than me, bigger than mom and dad. And then I, I, even as a kid, I remember watching my dad pray for this woman with a, with a tumor on her neck. It was about the size of the baseball. And it just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, it just disappeared. I remember, I, I, I just, I, I watched God move in response to people that pray. And I'm determined to carry that legacy to my last breath. And then I'll still pray. When I get to heaven, I'm still going to talk to Jesus. I'm still going to have conversation with him. Thank you for joining us today at
the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.